Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday midday. And um, this week of Purim, so I'm up to here with Purim. But on the other hand, I want to um, also f- do my usual, stick to the uh, usual schedule. And uh, therefore, I'm going to take a look at the Parsha itself. This today's uh, podcast is being is is being given in honor of Herschel Goldman's 92nd birthday, which was just the other day. It's a cousin of mine. Uh, unfortunately, he just got up from sitting Shiva for... Judy, to whom he was married, that's my cousin, for 70 years, just short of 70 years. Uh, that's crazy, 70 years. Uh, and uh, that was very sad. But uh, on the other hand, he just had, as they say, uh, his 92nd, born 1930, and uh, we all love him. And therefore, without any further ado, let's just get into this. Um, and now that you know this, those of you who are friends will call and wish them a happy birthday. Uh, Parsha Sav is kind of boring usually, you know, unless you're holding in Kutchen, which most people are not. Unless you're holding in Kutchen. And uh, my thoughts, uh, which are crowded with Purim stuff, I may do another one on Purim, uh, uh, a podcast about Purim, but my thoughts were, I think about the Karben Mincha, which is in both Parshas, but it, you know, it's prominent in this one. And uh, the mincha, of course, is the meal offering. Uh, as you know, in basic mixture, you, you can do animals. That's one way. That is, of course, one way. And the other way is to do with a flour, you know, with with, uh, with different types of wheat. Wheat and barley, to be perfectly honest, uh, depending what the carbon is. <clears throat> Again, unless somebody's holding it, it sounds kind of boring. It's not really, but it sounds kind of boring. To get a handle on it, I always tell people, get a hold of the art scroll um, stone comish. Um, and uh, if you look on page 1294, for example, you'll see the list of the olas, and this week's parsha zos toras mincha, hakav sabanei alavnei alpenei mizbech, etc. So these are the mincha offerings, <coughs> or menachas as we call them. <coughs> They're not only in parshas byikur and Sof. For example, soto obviously is over in by in Bamidbar, but I would say this is the main place, <coughs> uh, largely. And uh, you'll see, as you just follow the chart, which are very useful, Dart Scroll actually lifted out of something years ago. They did Vayikra, um, uh, two volumes. I'm told it wasn't a great seller, so they never finished it, which is a shame, because it's a good idea the way they used to do it on breaches. But whatever the case is, um, they lifted that and put it into the stone chumash, so that saves you the trouble. And you'll see that most of the carbon minchas involve wheat, uh, with rare exceptions of barley, just look on page twelve ninety four. Excuse me. You'll also see that it's never flour and water. I think that's very interesting. It's always flour and oil. Uh, so they are matzahs because it says in this week's parsha. <clears throat> I think many of you know this. Lo that you're not supposed to make chametz, which means there shouldn't be flour and water. 
Instead, it's what you and I would call matzah or egg matzah, if I can use that expression, even though it's not egg matzah, it's oil. And uh, I think Manal Shabtai gave me once one of these Sephardi matzahs, which they can do matzah shira, you know that. <clears throat> they don't have a meeting not to matzah shira. And you could have a matzah on Pesach, <clears throat> not for the Seder, but you could have a matzah on Pesach um, if you don't have a meeting against it. Uh, you know, Sephardi, you could have matzah on Pesach, uh, it'd be flour and oil. That's what they use in the temple. That's what we talked about in this week's Parsha. Uh, you know, so what was your typical carbon mincha? It's um it's wheat. Uh, mix smear together with a lot of oil. And then uh then it depends. <clears throat> Again, if you simply look at the without me rattling it off, if you're interested at all in what I'm saying, if you're not, you probably turn me off by now. If you're interested in what I'm saying, get a hold of the Arsul Khamish. And just follow on page 294. I hold it's very, very um, useful. And just go down the line. See, mix with oil. Then the next one, last week, mix with oil and fried on the griddle. Mix with oil and fried in a pan. Mix with oil baked in an oven. Baked in an oven, oil smeared on. That would be your rikikim. And then uh, the chaviti kongado, which you had last week, mixed with oil, scalded in hot water, and baked in fried. Scalded in hot water is not, you know, hummus. Get it? You know, it's boiling water. And then mix with oil, etc., and so forth and so on. Uh, only, how should I put it? The only chametz I think you notice is the carbon toda, and uh, then when you get to Shavuos time, okay, that's uh, unusual. So that itself is kind of interesting, and you can be sure all the symbol symbolic mafarshim, you know, really go to town on that. You know, uh, <clears throat> the idea. But the main pashim shot is. That for the base of Mishi, she should I remember seeing that in the Nitziv Haggadah, which I used to be a big fan of <clears throat> when I was young. And Lamashal Gedula, and Lamashal Mohammed says, and therefore, base of Mishi, you don't want uh, the kind of matzah you and I use for Seder, you know, which is El Chipo, Lechem Oni. Lechem Oni has its place, but not in the base of Mishi. On the other hand, right, you get what I'm saying? It's supposed to be Malchus, you get it? Uh, that's just interesting. The Jewish religion has times when, in certain ceremonial situations, Malchus is called for, and in certain situations, <coughs> Tzinius is called for. The trouble in our modern society is, we sometimes screw it up, and there are many areas of life, just look at the ads and the uh, Mishpacha and all those places, where the Tzinius is on the retreat, and they're trying to extend the kind of activity, or the kind of luxury, that would be appropriate in a base amigdash to your Pesach hotel <laughs> or to your Shabbaton or heck with that to the newest restaurant with a 50 foot uh, long steak. You know, uh, you're taking stuff that's really supposed to be for the base amigdash and it's appropriate in the base amigdash. As a matter of fact, it's mandated in the base amigdash in this week's parsha and last week's parsha, and then you're applying it to the Velterite <coughs> when it's not appropriate. Uh, but that's because we live in a time of unbelievable. Um, what's the right word? Uh, consumerism and luxury items are considered a necessity, and therefore we have a screwed up sense of values. Okay, whatever. Now, <clears throat> here's the point I wanted to say. The word mincha is very interesting. We use it, as I say, for a flower offering, and to be perfectly honest, the flower offerings are el chipo, um, <clears throat> a little, a little oil, a little uh, flour, a little uh, frankincense, and you're done. 
is a cheapo. Matter of fact, we have carbonola biore for certain people. If they're not rich, they don't bring animals. They bring in certain situations. Minchas, you know, they bring flour. <clears throat> so el cheapo for, for, for um, what should I say, economic uh, advantage, those who are poor. Or those who should feel poor. But it's interesting that we call them mincha. Mincha is usually understood <clears throat> in biblical Hebrew to be a present. Kachnos mincha si is a present. Uh, it's not the only meaning of it, that's the plain meaning. And so it's interesting that the Torah, like in this week's parsha, is those Torahs mincha. So you're giving God a present. What, what, what does that mean? Obviously, God doesn't need any presence. So what, what does that mean? So here we come across, in my way of thinking, a very interesting phenomenon I'm sure I've mentioned before. It has to do with the quality of the relationship that a human being is supposed to have with the Brunish Allah, which is always, um, what's the right word? Uh, uh, contradictory, um, conflicted. That's the nature of the relationship. Because, as I've said a hundred times, if you want to be... Uh, philosophical, think it through logically, you can't have any idea about God. You know, just go to the Rambam. Can't even say God exists. He created the word existence. He can't say he's good. He created the word good, etc., etc., etc. So you're left with a garnish with a nothing. And even a nothing is a created idea, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, the Torah says, you're supposed to have a house for Hashem, called the base of Mikdash. You're supposed to have carbonus. You're giving Hashem something. He likes it. That's what it says. Reich Nichoch, it says these words. So even though they can, of course, be interpreted philosophically, but it's clear, at least to me, that on a practical basis, you're supposed to have, as I say before, I always talk with, you know, with a pinch or an asterisk. You're supposed to have some image of God which partakes of physicality, even though you're supposed to pinch yourself at the same time and say, but it's not actually the way it is. If you do one and not the other, it's not good. Uh, that's a trick. The whole book of Ayikra is about this. All the rules of Karbonas, Menachos, even Tum and Tyra, to be perfectly honest, and things like that, if you think it through, there are ways of conducting yourself. There are certain Anhogos. But it doesn't mean you can understand, you know, that you're really dealing with God in this way. Uh, because ultimately God is, is not knowable. But yet, we're supposed to know God. See, see what I'm saying? See the conflict in this of it? And a base of me should be a really cool place for this kind of thing, because if the, the Kohanim, the Shekhinah, they're supposed to know this kind of stuff, at least the head Kohanim, and yet at the same time, the whole panoply of the of the ceremonies, they're very physical. <clears throat> you get it very physical. It's like God's outer room, God's inner room, uh, this week's going to be Purim, and you know, if you read the, what's the name, the Ramos book of the Mechir Yain, everything is supposed to be spiritual allusion, Bechatzer Beis HaMelech HaPnimis, you know, that God has an inner Chatzer, or Chitzon, Esther, Who's, who's a mysterious, has to penetrate into the inner chambers. But as we all know, God doesn't actually live in a house, so it doesn't have an outer chamber or inner chamber. But I'm supposed to imagine that way. You hear what I said? I'm supposed to. So the Jewish religion deals with people as they are. Let me rephrase that. God deals with people as they are. And God says, I want you to carbonus, I want you to do a mincha this way, I want you that way, and I want you to bring me presents, among other things. The translations of the word are kind of funny. Carbon means something from the word karov. But on the other hand, carbon, it means a sacrifice. It, it, can't, it can't help it. You're giving something. Uh, or you're, you're, you're um, what does the word sacrifice involve? I'm taking out of pocket. I'm sacrificing, giving of myself. 
Mincha sounds to me more like just like, yeah, I'm giving you a present. It's not the emphasis on the fact that I'm sacrificing anything. You understand? Uh, if I were poor and I gave you a, a big check for a Purim, that'd be a sacrifice. But if I'm rich and I give you a check for a Purim, let's say for $1,000, that's chump change. So I gave you a present. I didn't really sacrifice. I, technically, I took money out of my bank account, but you know what I mean? It's not a sacrifice. When you see a poor person, I know many stories. Um, I've, I've, and I've heard from collectors, you know, let's put it this way. They were more impressed with the poor guy that gave five bucks than with which guy who gave five grand because it was a bigger sacrifice from the poor guy to five bucks than the rich guy to 5K. You understand what I'm saying? So, mincha means you're giving a present. Now, why does God want presents? Here we come to cr across something which I consider very interesting. The human being is so constituted, and the Rebbe's know this, the Hasidic and the uh, and the uh, fundraisers know this. When you, when a person gives a present to something, unless he feels like he was cheated, he was a sap, the person actually feels good for giving that present because he feels invested in the thing, even though it really should be, you know, a, a, a kiss and run. I gave you the money, now get off my back. But life is not like that. The fundraisers will tell you if they got a school or yeshiva, for example, or some institution, and they can get a guy to give, again, like $100, it's not simply next year they'll come and say, oh, last year you gave $100. I mean, they do do that. I understand that. But um, it's, it's, it's not as simple as that, right? It's rather that the person feels like he's got a piece of the rock. I only give 100 bucks. I have a Kesher now with you. Because part of you comes from me. You know what I'm saying? So if I... <clears throat> I'll, I'll give you an extreme, crazy, nutty example, which is my Simbachol Yom in America. It's crazy. You have guys like Donald Trump and other billionaires running for office, and people will send them money for their campaigns. Don't I get... And I'm not singling out Trump. It could be anybody. You know, Hillary is... It, the point is, all these politicians that are running for office are a lot richer than I am and a lot richer than you are. So what are they saying? Yeah, but don't make me spend all my money. <laughs> you know, give me five bucks. Give me a hundred bucks. Give me a thousand bucks. Why should I do that? Why should I do that? Especially if you were a poor guy and you talk and needed the money to put your campaign together and I really believed in what you stand for and so forth and so on. All right. But were there people who contributed to the presidential campaign of John F. Kennedy, of Lyndon B. Johnson, of uh, Nixon, you know, rich people. Get it? Reagan was a multimillionaire. You get what I'm saying? I, I still remember it was too much. Uh, what's his name? Ran for in, in a primary years ago. Forbes, Malcolm Forbes. That's Mr. Azillions. And people gave money to his campaign. When I was little, I used to go Governor Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller in New York. He used to go raising money for his campaign. Let me get this straight. I'm a schmendrick and a half, and I should give money to Rockefeller? It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> now, the truth is, these politicians are a bunch of hilarious, and they are cheapskates, and they'd rather the poor guy get, take out of his money than his own. I mean, that is true. You know, politicians are like that, and never, what's the right word? Never underestimate their venality and their cheapishness and all the rest of it. Having said that, having said that, I can be less cynical. It's also true that... <clears throat> If I send money to a politician, even 
10 bucks. I feel like I have a piece of the rock. I feel a, a, a Kesher with that person. And I'm going to really be enthusiastic about supporting them. It's weird that way. But the human nature is of such that what I give to, I feel a chalik of, I get invested in emotionally. This was the basic idea behind the Mishkan, of course. And Kol Nadiv Lev. Uh, and it worked. Because the old Klai Yisrael felt really invested in the Mishkan precisely because they gave, they, they coughed up the, the, the cash or the, or the, you know, gold and silver and, and the other stuff over there. And it's not simply that the person said, oh, that's my, uh, you know, bar of gold that they're using in here. You feel, I was a part of it. When a, when a chassi give to a Rebbe, he doesn't, I'm serious now, chassi give to a Rebbe, he doesn't feel like, oh, I got ripped off over here. The guy's a charlatan. I just gave money to Albert Gantry and so forth. They don't feel like that. They feel, I have a kesher. You know, this guy's a kesher this way, that guy's a kesher that way. Oops, I got interrupted there by somebody. Uh, but I think it was saying, you, you feel, you know, like if, like I said before, you feel a kesher. And it's not simply that you own a piece of the rock. The giving creates a bond. So you give a mincha to Hashem, it's one way of, of having a bond. It's funny, because obviously Hashem is called Yahweh, doesn't need it. So basically, I know it sounds funny, but Hashem is doing you a favor by allowing you to give him a present. Ordinarily, that would sound like a ripoff, but it's not exactly true. Even in the Gemara, we have such a case, I'm trying to remember in the Kedushan, I think, where, if I remember correctly, uh, a rich guy, the girl gives a rich guy a present, I think that's how it goes, and, and it's Mekudeshes. Why? He has to give her, not she, him. The fact that he get he took it from her because he was Chashev, that's a Hanoah worth of Shabrut, at least, if not more. You know what I'm saying? By me taking it, I'm doing you a favor. In this case, it was fungible. So that, you see in the Parsha Tzav and Parsha Vayikra, very interesting ways. <clears throat> I'm always reminded of the story that I like to paraphrase from the Masilas Yisharim. He says it his way. I say it a little bit with a Baltimore twist. But uh, but it's very true. Imagine, here's a, a, a so I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what he said and use my language. Suppose you have a guy who's like a, a doctor, a surgeon, let's say, for example. And uh, and he's a from guy, he goes to shul in the morning. But on the other hand, you know, he's beeping and everything. And the minute shul's over, he's going to hit the road and get to the hospital because within a little while he's got to start doing his uh, operations. It's a perfectly honest way of making a living. And he has an aged father who's in one of these, um, I won't say retirement homes, but he's in one of those, uh, you know, like senior citizen places. Baltimore, I'm thinking of Ford's Lane. Okay? And uh, the thing is that... Um, the father used to work for the post office. So the point of the matter is like this. The son doesn't need the father. He can buy him a thousand times. The father was a postal employee. The son is a, is a big surgeon. Okay? The son is a big surgeon. Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's a Tuesday morning. And he's in Shoal. And he's getting out at 730, let's say, for example. And he's going to hit the road on the beltway, you know, on the highway. And he's going to... Um, 
get down to the hospital. And he gets a, 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 a phone call or a text nowadays, we'd say, from his father, who's living in that like, retirement sort of apartment. He's a little bit out of the way. He says, like, could you do me a favor? You know, I got up early today. Could you get me something from Dunkin' Donuts? You know, a coffee and a thing. Now, the MS is, this doctor that I'm talking about, who's a nice guy, he's in Shul, after all, is a good son, is perfectly entitled to say, and he might say, I can't do it today, i got an operation that's coming up, billable hours, this doesn't work, but on Sunday, when I'm day off, I'll be happy to take you out all day long. That's not a bad son at all. He's a good boy. But, you know, he's got a job. It is possible sometimes, I'm told, for parents to interfere in the lives of their children such a way gets the gets away their daily schedule. Okay? It's not a crime. And so he could say, I can't do it now or something like that, but this son doesn't do that. He's really a good boy. Let's say the father's a widower, you know. And so it's a little bit out of his way. And he calls the hospital and so forth. And he goes to Dunkin' Donuts. No, he doesn't go to Dunkin' Donuts. He goes to Goldberg's Bagels, a much fancier place. And instead of buying the father a $10, $15 business, you know, between the coffee and the, and the donut, whatever he was going to get him, the roll, he goes to uh, a fancy bagel place, fancier, and he orders the thing and he waits there and he brings the father a $75, $80 business. You know, he had this and he ordered that and so forth. And he runs to the retirement place and he zooms up the elevator and he knocks on the door, gives it to the father. He says, I got to go. Here you go. And he hits the road and he's on the way back to the hospital. Now, have you ever heard of such a person? I have. Why did he do that? He didn't want to kiss up to the father because like I said before, the father was a postal employee who's living on a small pension. So it's not a question of the money. So why did he do that? But there are people who will do that. Right? Why did he do that? Why didn't he say, as he was totally entitled to say, I don't have time. I have operation to do today. I have, you know, I have patience and this and that and the other. Which he was entitled to say, but he didn't. So the answer is, he, he, he did it to make the father feel good. Right? I'm not talking about a brisker who says, you know, I'm not talking about that kind of approach. Normal guy. Normal guy. He said, I want to make the father feel good. Why do you want to make the father feel good? It makes me feel good that he feels good. Why does, why does it make you feel good? You feel good? Not every family is dysfunctional. There's such a thing called a functional family. In a functional family, one guy feels good if he makes the other one feel happy. What do you get out of it? You don't have to question what do you get out of it. I want to give you the, the, the I, you could have gone to the Dunkin' Donuts. He would have been perfectly happy to get a $15 business, a $16 business. Why'd you go and get him an $80 business? I felt like I wanted to do it. It's a mincha. Get it? It's a mincha. You want. This is the highest level. What I'm describing is the way a, a carbon should be brought with that kind of feeling. I don't say it was brought like that all the time, but I didn't brought. I want to do something that Hashem wants to make, make Hashem feel good. I stands my monies and says God doesn't feel and all the rest. Yeah, I know. I understand the philosophical side. But having said that, in Lamaisa dig away, the Torah says, Zos Torah Mincha. There's such a thing called giving God a mincha. Right? On certain occasions this is to be brought and that okay, has to be brought. It could be a carbonola, whatever the case is. It's, it's I guess we call it an adava. 
Why does somebody want to do an adobo? Not to kiss up, because the, the doctor in the story I just told you didn't need to kiss up to the father. Didn't need to flatter him. Didn't need his help or anything like this. I feel good if you feel good. If you are my father and we got along, and we had a normal family and this and that and the other, it makes me feel good the fact that you, that, you, that you feel good. It just makes me tingle all over. I feel great. Did you ever have that experience? I hope you did. If you didn't, you have a truncated life. Don't, by the way, it doesn't have to be a father. It does not have to be a father. It could be somebody else. I'm not tooting my horn all the time. I once did it for one of my rabbis. Not long ago either. I felt great. Now, unfortunately, he's sick. But, you know, it, 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 and I came up with my wife even said, like, I said, you look funny, you know. I said, I don't know. I just feel good for what I did today. Why? Why? That's a mincha. Get it? Theoretically, that's a carbon. That's a karev. You give, and therefore you feel closer to. Not in the sense of having been taken advantage of. It's just a human nature thing. You give to something, you feel closer. This is, the, in my personal opinion, this is the sort of the whole Vayikra business. Vayikra Tzav, Shemini Tzazriyam, etc., all that kind of stuff. But particularly in Vayikra and Tzav, in today's Pasha, you have all these technical things. Now, not a sin offering, because that's to atone for something. And, you know, not a guilt offering, because that's to make up for something. I'm not referring to those. Those are components that are required because of the laws and regulations. And, you know, it's part of the atonement process, etc., etc., etc. That's good, too. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what I'm saying over here. And the essence of it is the person who wants to make Hashem feel happy makes me happy if Hashem feel happy. In order to do that, you have to be unphilosophical. You have to imagine. You hear what I said? You have to imagine God as some kind of a creature that has feelings. That's what it says. Even though at the same time you pinch yourself and say it's not really true. So why would God want that? So I should feel good. <laughs> you get it? The person that I just described, who did this for a parent or a Rebbe or somebody like that or a senior citizen, they themselves are elevated as a result. Actually, they got a good supercharge, a feeling. They themselves are are, are, are raised uh, emotionally, uh, psychologically, mentally, and spiritually, would say, as a result of that feeling. So it's kind of funny. You gave, but you got more back than what you gave. Now, they use these cliches when they have fundraising drives, all the rest of it. Sometimes it's actually true. Sometimes it's true. Imagine with, and uh, I don't want to go too late today because I have to go to a Levi. Imagine, I'm just going to make this up. Imagine uh, we have now all this Ukraine uh, stuff going on with these refugees. Suppose I'm Jewish family. Yeah, I'm listening to all these things. Yeah, go to this one, that one, the other, you know. There, there are families over there that are in real bad shape. Suppose you gave money as, and from your money... A family was saved from being killed, a Jewish family. You just feel good, <laughs> right? You just feel good. Um, what do you gain from it? The feeling good. If you're the type of person that goes, oh, now I have brownie points in heaven, that's not it. Then you're not a, they're hyping a person, you understand? Then, then you're, you know, you're just, you know, living on your, you're the type of person that would give the, the, the donut for the parent in order to get in the will. Uh, I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about something different. Okay? I just got interrupted again. I have to go to Slovakia. Listen here. Um, let me just... Uh, I think you get the point I'm trying to say. I would recommend if... You know, now... First, we got to go through Purim. So, this partial is going to be after Purim. At the end of the week. But if you look at it through the lenses that I just laid out for you, uh, I would suggest you do so. 
then I think you'll look at the whole parsha of Tzav with all the rules and regulations. Uh, I don't want to use the word rose-colored glasses, but you know what I mean when I say that. In a different way, and in a, in a more psychological fashion. Uh, and I think noble uh, behavior, people like that. It's not always so easy to do. But the theme of sacrifice and presence and things like that, although here given in the form of Hashem, is a kind of a model for how people should act towards, the, towards each other. But that may be too long to go into. I just gave you, uh, you rabbis out there, a theme that you can play with for this week's sermon. But as I said before, I have to uh, go now. I do want to once again wish Herschel Coleman a, uh, a happy 92nd. Well, 92nd. Seen a lot. And uh, uh, happy Purim. I hope to get something out for Purim maybe tomorrow or the next day or something like that. Uh, I'm sure I'll find somebody. And uh, meanwhile, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Have a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.